Well, good morning. Welcome all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here at Frisco East. I got to say a, a big thank you across all of our campuses to our worship teams, our tech teams uh, last weekend. Can we give it up for them? Man, they led us so well. Love you guys. All of you who work behind the scenes in parking lots, in classrooms, at doors, thank you. Thank you for serving and making people feel welcome. Glad you're here today starting a brand new series called Redacted. Let me, let me dive in right away and give you the definition of Redacted in case you're unaware of, what, of really what that is. It's the process of editing a document to conceal or remove confidential information before disclosure or publication. You see this a lot in legal documents, <clears throat> government documents. They will redact, they will mark out things. kind of looks like this in a statement or in a document so that it's confidential, uh, so you don't see what's going on. And, and the, the high idea behind this series is there are passages or subjects in the Bible that we would like to have redacted. In other words, we want to ignore them. We want to um, kind of rip them out of the Bible and just say, you know what, I'm not sure about that, so let's just move on. Let's just ignore those things. Well, we're going to visit some of the more redacted passages or subjects of the Bible. Uh, here are the weeks that we're going to look at. Today, we're going to look at, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Next week, we're going to talk about, are we living in the last days? Uh, many, many, I've had many, many uh, emails and messages and, and, and so forth about, you know, prophetic videos. And I'm going to tell you next week when Jesus is coming back, Okay. <laughs> You know I'm kidding, right? Week three, we're going to talk about, am I too far gone to be forgiven? A great friend of mine is coming whose life was torn in two uh, by his sin. He's coming to talk to us. And I normally don't uh, announce guest speakers, but Blaine Bartell, my great friend, is coming to share about this question, am I too far gone? And, and I know many of us would say, oh, no, nobody's too far gone. But many of us feel that way inside. We're going to talk about that. And then week four, we're going to do a Q&A. I want you to do this for me if you care to. If you have questions about the Bible, theology, or whatever, I want you to text them to this number. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the most popular ones that have been submitted and try to tackle them rapid fire. It's not going to be an exhaustive answer uh, in the sense of I'm going to give you a ton of research and, and you know, answer every little question. We're, we're going to try our best to answer quite a few of the more popular questions that come our way. So that's the number to text with your questions. Now, today, is Jesus the only way to heaven? The answer to that is offensive to most every other religion in the world. The answer to that is a very simple answer, yet it can be offensive if you are exclusive. In other words, if we say yes, then we are exclusive. If we say no, then we have problems with Scripture. So what do we do with this? How do we answer this question? And so here's where we're going to go today. First of all, this is more of a knowledge uh, information message. So if you came to feel good, watch last week's message, okay? <laughs> watch that again. Uh, today is going to be more instructional, uh, maybe even corrective. Um, so I'm just warning you up front, we're going to tackle this question give you the answer to begin with with Scripture, and then I'm going to give you three reasons why 
we come to this conclusion, okay? And, and the last one is a, a little different twist on answering this question, and, and I'm hoping that if you're young across all of our campuses, if you're young especially, and I don't mean adults ignore me, I just mean if you're young, this is such an important message. I truly believe that. Um, but let me answer the question, is Jesus the only way to heaven with Scripture? Acts 4, we'll start there. There is salvation. This is Peter talking after the day of Pentecost. He's talking to people. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, speaking of Jesus. Now, Peter, I mean, inspired by the Holy Spirit, confident, bold. I mean, he just tells it like it is, and he's talking to mostly Jewish people who crucified Jesus, right? And so there's a, a ton of things that are going on in, in this passage, but where does Peter get this idea? Where would Peter derive his statement? And it comes from Jesus. In John 14, right after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and has the last supper with them. He gives them some final instructions. He goes into prayer, and then he's going to be arrested and crucified. Jesus says this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, this is where it gets tricky in the world with other religions even people who, are, who would say they're atheists or agnostics, this is exclusive. This is offensive. That Jesus would have the audacity to say that I am the, there is no other way. You can't get this way, that way. There's no other religion. There's no other person. There's no other way in which you are to be forgiven of your sin and be reconciled to the Father. There's no other way to heaven except by me. Peter reemphasizes that in Acts 4. We could go through scripture after scripture talking about this idea that Jesus is the only way. So the answer that I would give you, whether you like it or not, whether we believe it or not, is simply what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to heaven except through me. That's the answer. However, the answer is hinged on three important things that he gives in verse 1 of this same chapter. 14.1 says this, Jesus says it like this, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, and trust also in me. This is uh, talked about, this is uh, read at a lot of funerals. Um, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled because in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am you may be also. That's the rest of the verse. But I want to concentrate on the first part of the verse that says, trust in God and trust also in me. So for the remainder of this message, I want to, I want to give you the reasons why we say with confidence that yes, Jesus is the only way. Listen, I know many people believe he is a way. Many people, other religions, believe he is the best way, possibly. But we believe that he is the only way, and we derive that because of what Jesus says. Not because we think we're the best or whatever, but because of what Jesus says. Now, I'm going to get to that important information as to why we trust that. But first, the first one is that there is a trust in the God of the Bible. He says, trust in God. And that is the God of the Bible. 
the, the creator of the universe. There is no other creator. There is no other way in which. Now, I understand there are many theories about how we came into being, how, how perhaps the, the, the universe was shaken and together, and all of a sudden, we, our nervous system, our brain comes together through a big shaking or explosion. Can I just be honest with you? And I don't mean this like in a, in a, a cocky way. I just mean it takes more faith to believe that than that there's an intelligent design. That, a, that some God, now whether you believe it's our God, the God of the Bible, but some God, an intelligent designer, in, I mean, thought of ways in which we are created. I mean, our nervous system and our brain is like none other. I mean, there is an amazing, and, and, and for me to think that some explosion, you know, kind of, you know, put it all together is just weird. Okay, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just saying that everyone has faith. Everyone has faith. Now, whether you believe in an explosion, a big bang, some other alien, or, you know, whatever, but everybody has faith, it's going to be what Jesus says, who are you going to trust? The God of the Bible, the Creator who created us, by the way, for fellowship, for relationship. We, we know this by Genesis 1, 2, and 3 as the creation unfolds, and as Adam and Eve were created in his image, created for fellowship, created for friendship. There, there's the scripture where it says God walked with them in the cool of the day. I mean, can you imagine? We're not sure how long that lasted before brokenness. We're not sure how long they were in this garden fellowshipping with God, but they were there, and there was this incredible communion, relationship, fellowship. But the enemy comes in, like he does in our lives, the enemy comes in, and he deceives, and he deceived Eve and Adam in, in twisting God's word, and they indulge in the only commandment that God gave them, don't eat of the tree, in the, the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you do, you will surely die. Now, the price of restoration or the penalty of sin, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but the penalty of sin, I think we, there's sometimes there's a misunderstanding like that God is mad at everybody and that God, I mean, so what? They messed up. They're human. They're not perfect. They messed up. Just move on and go on. Okay, that would seem like to be a, a great answer, but you have to understand the very nature of God and, and that he is holy. So in other words, there is no wrong in God. He is in himself. He is holiness. He is righteousness. There is no sin. There is no wrong. There is no mistake. There is nothing. And so when that holiness is violated, there has to be a price that holiness can receive in order to be right again. Does it make sense? So there's, there's, it's not that God's mad at us or that God is, 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 you know, trying to be some ogre upstairs who is just uh, in a bad mood all the time. It's, it's the very nature of, of, of holy. It's the very nature of righteousness that they're, the price of violating that is death. So then begins the second observation, which is a trust in Christ's work on the cross and resurrection. 
God's fellowship, God's, I'm sorry, God's creation, God's fellowship was broken because of sin. It's broken today because of our sin. It's broken then. I mean, it's, it's just, it is what it is, right? So the penalty of that is death. But holiness, the, the righteousness of God, requires something holy, righteous. Now, in the, New, in the Old Testament, there were temporary fixes for our sin. And you can go back and read that. And I know I'm giving a lot of information. And, and if you're new to Christianity, it's like, oh man, some, somewhat hard to understand. But in the Old Testament, there was temporary forgiveness with sacrifice, but it would not last forever. So the plan of God, the purpose of Jesus would be the visible image of the invisible God. He would come in his holiness, in his righteousness, and he would walk through temptation. He would walk through abandonment. He would walk through abuse. He would walk through our shoes, exactly what we go through. And he would take upon himself on the cross our sin because he lived a sinless life. He would become the holiness that was needed to restore relationship with, with the Father. And so our sin, past, present, and future, was put upon Jesus. Looking ahead thousands of years to our sin, he bore the, that sin on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven and then rose from the grave, defeated death. So sin, the, very, the two things we talked about last week, the two things that we cannot defeat, the two things that we cannot escape, sin and death, Jesus escaped both of them. He paid the price that we couldn't pay, and he rose from the grave so that we could have eternal life, so that death could be defeated. Now, God's only plan for redemption is in what Jesus did on the cross. It is not your righteousness plus what Jesus did. It is not, hey, you know what, if you're good enough, if, you're, if, if your good outweighs the bad, then God will accept you no, 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 he accepts what Jesus did. And, and this, by the way, when I say that Jesus is the best way to heaven, he really is the best way to heaven. In all other religions, no, no other religion does God come down and pay the price for your, your unrighteousness, pay the price for your sin, and so he offers it free. He just says, hey, you want to get to heaven? You want to have eternal life? All you got to do is believe in what I did. I did it for you. He did all the work. It is the best way. But it is the only way. There is no other substitution. There is no other way to do this. So, so this is the gospel. This is the good news. And that's why we call it good news. Because it's not about what you do or what you did or how you can make it right. It's about how he made it right. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, there is a, a formula to this that goes back to that verse 1 a trust in the God of the Bible and that story and how it unfolds and a trust in Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection. This is good news. And this is why we can celebrate last weekend the resurrection. We can go, yes, we are free. We can sing songs about it, that we are free. We, I, don't, I can't even think of words now, but you know, we, we celebrate you have risen from the dead and now we no longer pay for our sin. And you, I mean, whatever song we want to sing, whatever hymn you want to sing, we sing that because of this story. But the third observation is where I want to camp out today and really spend some time, and that is this. Number three, a belief in God's written revelation, the Bible. Because we don't have this 
without this. So when we talk about God's word, I know it's a, it's, it's a little different way to tackle, is Jesus the only way to heaven? But when I give you, or anybody else gives you that answer, that answer is not, fi- is not found outside of the, God, of the Bible. That answer is found in the word of God. So if that answer is found in the word of God, and I, by the way, I know in John 14, you're saying, okay, wait a minute, those three, I didn't see him say written word. Well, the very thing that you're reading is written word. Without that written word, you wouldn't read that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came at just the right time so that the roads of Rome that were created to get to wherever you needed to get to were already established that you could write down different things so that, so that it could be circulated. The written word of God is crucial to our understanding of God and his story. The word, the written revelation of God about who we are, about who he is, we derive all of our doctrine, we derive all of our theology from what has been written. And so his revelation to us is is our understanding of who he is, his plan, his purpose, his love our relationship, and it is a guide uh, of a way to live until all things are renewed and all things are restored. We'll talk about that next week, the, the, all, the end times. What is that? What happens? Well, the Word gives us a, a lamp, a light, as Psalm puts it, a lamp into my feet, a light into my a path, and a lamp into my feet. The, the Word is our guide, and it's what we believe about God we find in the inspired written word, and there is no other revelation. There is no other, and I'm going to give you the facts about that, but there is no other revelation. In other words, I can't go in my office and say, you know what, I'm going to write another little book of, of, of how I think of, no, 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 this is the revelation. And so let me explain how the Bible actually came together, because this is, this is really important. I'm going to give you a few facts here. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year span, 40 different authors in that 1,500 years. So what's important here is that it wasn't written by one person. One person didn't just go, go away on a mountain and say, what could I write about today? You know, what, what religion could I create today just off the top of my head? This was written by 40 different, at least 40 different people over a 1,500-year span of the story of God. The Old Testament has 39 books, which is called the Jewish Scripture. About 150 years before Jesus, the Jewish Scripture from Genesis to Malachi was formally kind of put together. So when Jesus refers to Scripture, he's talking through Genesis through Malachi. Talking about the prophets, talking about the poetical books, the historical books, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, very important in the, in, in the Jewish faith. That was their scripture. There are 39 books that were established and kind of ordained, if you will, that this is the revelation of God. It's what Jesus used. Now, fast forward when Jesus comes, the New Testament, there are 27 books that came into formalization. In other words, it was a formal in 397 at the Council of Carthage. There were many councils before this where Christians got together, pastors got together, theologians got together and said, okay, there, are, there have been letters since the first century 
What letters are we going to accept as God's word? What letters are we going to set as instructional for us so that we understand how to live this gospel? Painstaking years of, of looking back at the first century and then after the first century, some of the disciples of the disciple, of the disciples, some of the people that came right after the disciples, Polycarp and Justin Martyr in, in the first, second, third, fourth centuries, as they would use these letters and circulate these letters across the then known world, every New Testament book was written by those considered to be an apostle. It was not written by somebody in 200 AD. It was not written by somebody who did not have a close encounter with Jesus, a direct encounter with Jesus. That was some of the, the, uh, the, the requirements for a book to be established. They had to have personal contact with Jesus. First century. So none of the New Testament is like somebody from 150 years later that heard, that heard, that heard. This was firsthand accounts. And all the church fathers from both the East and the West church uh, accepted the New Testament in 39 AD, and they have not changed since. I understand there's Apocrypha that were like good books, but not considered the written, inspired Word of God. Now, I give all this information, and by the way, some great resources for this that I would encourage you to purchase or even look up online. Haley's Bible Handbook has a ton of information. It's a, it's a, concor a very brief concordance of every book of the Bible, but it has great information about how, uh, many different things, but especially how the Bible was written, how it came together. And then uh, Josh McDowell's new evidence that demands a verdict. He was uh, studying at the University of Michigan. He was an atheist, and he was writing a paper on how Christianity and the Bible were uh, not real, and he got saved. And it was an incredible, and that Josh McDowell's preached the gospel for many years. But anyway, this is his book, New Evidence That Demands a, a Verdict, and it's got a ton of information of how the Bible was put together, answers a ton of questions that you may have. Now, I'm getting to something because that I think is, is really, really important. Because if we can take what Scripture says about Jesus and the resurrection, but we can't take other things, then who decides what other things we can't take? 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me go there real quick. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches what to do is right. So this is where we have a problem. This is where it becomes real because how many understand we love passages about the resurrection? We love passages about Jesus is love. God so loved the world. Yes, love it. But when he corrects you, I don't, know, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like that book. Why did they put that book in the Bible? And then we begin to question the authority of the Scripture. We begin to question the things that we don't like. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us what to do, uh, what, what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip us, listen to this, to do every good work. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But he equips us people to do every good work. Hebrews chapter 4. I've, I've used this passage probably as many times as any other passage. For the word of God is living and active, powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul, what we want, and spirit, what God wants. 
there is a soul that we have, and there is a way in which we want to go. Adam and Eve dealt with it. You and I deal with it. Our soul, what we want, what we think. I want this. I want to do that. And spirit, what God wants. That's what the Word of God, it just, it comes and it exposes us for who we really are. Does that make sense? Not, not in a bad way, but it, it, it just corrects us. And this is where we have the issue. John, I, don't, I love the Jesus of the Bible, but I do not like the correction of the Bible. I understand. I'm with you. I wish we could just do whatever we wanted, right? But that's not the way it works. And the reason it doesn't work that way is because God loves us. God, the creator, see, it goes back to trust. God, the creator, designed and wired us. I want you to hear me, next generation. I want you to really hear me. And you don't have to agree with me. You can get mad at me. But I want you to at least hear me and, and hear me out. God created us. He wired us a certain way in which he knows what's best for us. Like parents, good parents, by the way, know, hey, child, teenager, whoever you are, don't do that. It's going to hurt you. We've been through this. We've been, oh my, it's going to hurt you. See, God, so much better than a parent, so much better than me as a parent, instructs us and says, hey, I created you. These are the guidelines. The guidelines are not to limit you. The guidelines are to give you life and life to the full. And when you get outside of the guidelines, it brings nothing but pain and nothing but hurt. And some of us who have made decisions outside of the word of God, we understand what that means. But still, the, 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 the correction is, is just like, oh, man, I just don't know if I agree with that. Well, it was written 2,000 years ago. I mean, really? I mean, that's a little old-fashioned. I, I get it. I understand that. But it, I think a lot of us read the Bible. How many like a physical Bible? Uh, some of you have digital Bibles and stuff. I like a physical one. I love getting new Bibles and, and writing in them. I write in the margins and so forth. And I love, I have a highlighter and, and I'll go, and how many have done this? You, you get a new Bible and you go to your favorite passages. You know, right? Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. One of my life verses, and I'll, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, oh man, I love that. John 3, 16. For God so loved, oh man, I'm going to. Because when I, go, when I go back to it and I see it, it's yellow, pops out. It's like, oh, that's a good promise. It's a good promise. I love it. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Ooh, ooh, man. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in, me, dwells in us. Ooh, yeah, powerful. <laughs> but then we read other passages where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, I want you to pray for your enemies. I want you to love those who despitefully use you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. I want you to go to the end of the line instead of going to the first of the line. I want you to serve people. I want you to wash feet. I want you to pray for the president. And you know what we do? It's kind of go, yeah, well... I don't like that passage. We read other passages about lust and sexual sin, gossip and greed and giving generously. Ooh, 
Yeah, yeah. I don't think I like. I'm going to tear that out of my Bible. Don't get drunk. <laughs> that is a word for about 90% of you. <laughs> Not joking. Go to church. Love your neighbor. In other words, racism does has, has no place in a Christian's heart. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to tear those out. Now, before you leave our church, these were just made-up pages, okay? They, they were not. They were not. How many were worried? How many were like, you know what? When I leave here, that's the last time I'm coming. I wouldn't do that to the Word, but we do it all the time by the way we live. I do too. We read God's Word and we go, Oh man, that's so good. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection. Jesus defeated sin, conquered sin, and he conquered the grave so that we can be blameless before God and so that we could have eternal life. And most of us who are Christians, yes, but when I want to deal, when, not me, but when the word of God deals with our stuff in our life and how to live and how we should live, we tear it right out. Because it's, oh, it's correcting us. I don't know if I can believe in that. Oh, you can trust him for the resurrection, but you can't trust him for the correction? Should I say that again? We can trust him for the resurrection, but I don't want him meddling in my life. I don't want him telling me what to do. And again, guys, I'm not mad at you. I'm, I, God's not mad at us. He's just like, hey, this is the way to live. This is, I promise you. I promise you that this is the best way to live. I'm not trying to limit, I'm not trying to make it to where you don't have any fun. I'm saying you live in the perfect and center will, center of my will for your life, your life will be so much better. I promise you. He's not like a God that's like, yeah, you do what I say. Get off the lawn, you know, type of God. <laughs> He's not that way, guys. He he limits us only because it's the best way to live. The consequences of sin, guys, are already paid. He's not saying, hey, if you don't live like this, man, you are gonna, you're out. He's saying Jesus has paid the consequences for the spiritual part of what we have done and what we continue to do but there are consequences outside of, of my way. And when you go outside of my way, it destroys relationships. It really, really messes with your life. So please, next generation, hear me. You know I love you. When we choose to deviate from God's word, his written revelation of his love, of his plan, and his purpose. When we can receive the resurrection, but we can't receive the correction, I promise you, for in all the love that God has for us, it is not because he's mad, and it's not because he's trying to limit you. It is that he is trying to help you. He's trying to help us lead and guide us in the right path. So let me go back to the question. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Well, that, you knew that answer. You knew what I was going to say. How many knew what I was going to say before I even started? Right? If you know the scripture, you know what I, if I said anything else, you're, you're out. The real answer to this question, though, 
I say the real answer. In my opinion, the more powerful answer to this question is not what we know. It's how we live. It's not, and don't get me wrong, what you know is very important, and we derive that from Scripture. All theology and doctrine is based, inspired by the Word of God. It is living and active. It's sharp. It just corrects. It helps us. But, but the answer, the more powerful, in my opinion, the more powerful answer to this question is not just that you know John 14, 6, or Acts 4, 12, or whatever scripture that would support your belief. It is the way in which we live what we believe. And that's why I tackled it this way, because I feel like, and, and please understand me, I'm not, I'm not a fire and brimstone, mad at the world kind of teacher, preacher. I, I, I just feel a drift in the body of Christ away from Scripture, away from the authority of Scripture. We can just make up whatever we want. We can live however we want. We can just decide what we want, and we can just say, hey, we're going to celebrate the resurrection, but we're not going to receive the correction. We're just going to write that out of there. And I'm telling you, parents, please make the Word of God a priority in your home. Of all the books you could be reading, and I like to read books, I like to listen to books, but make sure the Word of God is the one that is the most important in your day or in your week because it helps us understand, listen, just does it give us ammo for the world and that we're mad at them and I'm going to tell you what I know. They don't care what you really know. What they, what will, listen, what will attract them to Jesus is how you live. How we live. How we put a post on social media. How we live in front of our friends at school. How we live in our neighborhood. How we live in our workplace. That's what attracts people to Jesus. It's not our knowledge. It is our lifestyle. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about being submitted to the Word of God in our lives. And by the way, He can be trusted. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. And I know those of you who are theologians, I understand the, the, the context of this. That they were in the children of Israel were in captivity, and, and he was specifically talking to them. But the principle, the overarching principle, is that God has a plan, and that plan is good. It's for a hope. We all know that. It's for a hope and it's for a future. So, so in other words, God's plan for your life is not one of like, hey, I'm gonna try to make it as difficult as I can for you because I'm pretty ticked. His plan is good and for hope and future. So I encourage you in a few ways. If you're a believer and you struggle with trust, let me put those four or those three back on the script. If you, if you struggle with trust in any of these, I encourage you to come back to your first love. As Revelation talks about that to the churches. Come back to your first love. If you've drifted, if you've gotten complacent, 
if you've gotten away from Scripture and the authority of Scripture, then I encourage you to come back to the trust of the Word of God and what Jesus has done for us and the story of God's love for us and plan for us. Come back to that. Now, if you've never accepted, if you've never, ever accepted Jesus and what he's done for you, this is the good news of the gospel. It's not about you and what you've done or what you will do. It's about what he did. And when we put our faith and our trust in that, that's the gospel. That is eternal life. That is forgiveness. Young person, you're heavy on my heart this week. As you, as you begin your life and as you make decisions about who you're going to be, you can either accept God's way or you can go your way. You can go God's way or you can go your way. God's way is written down for us as a guide, as an encouragement to say, hey, this is how you live. Or you can choose your way. And I hope and I pray that you, you choose God's way. We're all on this journey. Nobody's perfect. This is not about legalism. This is not about, you know, being perfect. It's just saying, I'm going to be submitted. And when I sin, I want to offer up my heart to you and just say, God, thank you for your forgiveness already. I don't even have to say it, but I, but I say it because, because I want to be restored. I want to be right with you in, in my mind, in my heart. See, that's a submitted and surrendered heart. So if that's you, I want you to bow your heads across all of our campuses, right here at East, online. And and if you're a believer, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you're a believer who struggles with trust, trusting God, trusting the plan of, of, of God and, and Jesus and what he's done and the word of God, I want, I want to encourage you to, to turn your heart back to trusting. If you're, if you're not a believer yet, if you are far from God, or maybe you're deciding, you're in those years of like, okay, how am I going to live? What am I going to decide what I believe? God's not intimidated by your questions. Search it out. Research it out. But if you're here today and you're like, man, the, your heart is just beating out of your chest. You're like, I know that this is, I, hear, I feel God drawing me to him. If that's you and you've never accepted that plan, you've never fully surrendered, would you just raise your hand and say, John, pray for me because that's me. Yes, yes. Anybody else just say, yeah, that's me. Yes, yes, yes. Across our campuses, just raise your hand and say, it's, I'm coming I'm coming back or I'm coming to, yes. God, I thank you for those across all of our campuses and even those online that I'm just making that decision to say yes to you and what you've done for us. That, that free gift of salvation, all we gotta do is believe. All we gotta do is believe and that's it. It's not us, our righteousness and Jesus. It is simply Jesus. So Lord, forgive us of our sin. We repent of our own way and we acknowledge that you are the Son of God, died on a cross for our sins, rose from the grave for our eternal life, and we put our faith in what you've done. Thank you. God, I pray for everyone that our trust level goes back to where it needs to be. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in our lives right here, right now, as it is in heaven.